Welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, where we feature conversations with entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. Hello, and welcome back to the Agents of Innovation podcast. I am your host, Francisco Gonzalez, and I want to thank you for joining us here on episode 71. We have a fantastic guest today. When do we not have a fantastic guest? This is just an unbelievable experience here, being able to hear from so many great people. And today we're going to hear from Alex Goryachev. Alex is the author of Fearless Innovation, a no-nonsense guide going beyond the buzzword to continuously drive growth, improve the bottom line, and enact change. This is a brand new book out this year on innovation, fearless innovation. This podcast is all about innovation, and Alex is an agent of innovation. He was born in the Soviet Union. He's now working as the chief innovation officer for Cisco Systems. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with Alex when he comes on. For you, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And also don't forget to subscribe your friends, colleagues, neighbors, Get them hooked on hearing about all these great stories with our interviews on fantastic entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. And at the end of this episode, we're going to hear another song from The Brevet. As you know, on episode 70, we had the lead singer of The Brevet, Eric Dam. He was on there to discuss his entire music career. And if you haven't listened to episode 70, I encourage you to go back and do that. But uh, on this episode, we're going to hear a song from their album from 2013 called Start to Begin. I thought it was fitting here as Alex has started many times new companies with new companies and new experiences in his life, leaving the Soviet Union as a teenager to come here to the United States and work in all sorts of companies and startups. And now he's with a very well-established company where he's been for over a decade, Cisco Systems. So we're going to hear a little more from Alex, and then we're going to hear a song again from Eric Dam of The Brevet. Also, be sure to visit our website, agentsofinnovation.org, where you can read all of the blog posts that we've done for every single episode featuring all of the guests. And also from there, you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts, and also to how you can listen to the podcast on any of your favorite podcast apps including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and all that jazz. So anyway, sit back, relax, and welcome to episode 71 of the Agents of Innovation podcast. Well, I would like to welcome to the Agents of Innovation podcast, Alex Goryashev. Alex, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, Alex, uh, just to introduce you a little bit more to our audience, you are the Managing Director of Cisco's Global Co-Innovation Centers, where you spearhead several award-winning international programs and initiatives to accelerate innovation, whether that impacts operations, business processes, or technology. Uh, You're an award-winning Silicon Valley veteran whose resume reads like a brief history of tech, tech disruption. I see you've worked at Pfizer, IBM, Liquid Audio, Napster, and Cisco, where you've you've been now for more than a decade. Uh, you're a sought-after speaker on innovation and a regular contributor to Forbes, Chief Executive Magazine, Information Week, and other leading media outlets. So we are really, really excited to have you on. I also know you're the author of a new book called Fearless Innovation, Going Beyond the Buzzword to Continuously Drive Growth, Improve the Bottom Line, and Enact Changed, and this was published just in January by Wiley. Uh, So this is perfect for a podcast called The Agents of Innovation. I want to get to this in a moment. Um, One thing I want to address to our audience is my full name is Francisco, but since I was a little kid, my nickname has always been Cisco. (laughs) So I want to be sure that we're clearly... uh, uh, you know, deciphering this to the audience that you don't work for me. You work for a Fortune 50 company <laughs> called Cisco Systems. And uh, so anyway, Alex, I'm just very happy uh, to have you on. And also, speaking of Cisco Systems, 
You know, over my time, I mentioned, you know, my name, my nickname is Cisco and I've heard mm-hmm. my name spelled in many, I've seen and heard my name spelled in many different ways. There's Cisco, the food product company, S-Y-S-C-O. Right. And then there's, the, mm-hmm. there's the famous mm-hmm. singer who's known for the thong song named Cisco, S-I-S-Q-O. But mm-hmm. I've always admired the fact that Cisco Systems, where you work, has always spelled Cisco correctly. And uh, I'd like to think that since Cisco Systems was founded just five years or six years after I was born, that maybe someone heard me call Cisco and inspired the name of the company. I always like to think that. But anyway, Alex, in all seriousness, um, I, uh, I'm just really excited to have you on. And many people know Cisco as the Fortune 50 company, uh, but may not totally understand everything they do. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Cisco does and the evolution of the company and what the, the main purpose it serves today? Yeah, I know. Uh, and uh, again, thanks for thanks for having me uh, uh, Francisco. Um, so when, when we think about Cisco, right, um, Cisco, at the end of the day, Cisco is the company that is um, that is connecting things together and it's connect, connecting uh, things securely and, and ensuring that we kind of we go about our day uh, while being connected uh, to each other in the Internet. Right. That, so if we think about um, um Kind of the the brand promise. Uh, we always we often think of uh, talk about Cisco as the company that uh, connects everything, innovates everywhere, um, and and benefits everyone. So if I think about um, um, you know the, your podcast and the agent uh, agents of innovation, right? Uh, at Cisco, we have over seventy four thousand employees, and each one of them is an agent of innovation, and uh, am and I'm just one of them. So it's uh, it's really humbling experience to to be to to be a part of this company, and um, it's a wonderful place to work and 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 be innovative. Yeah, and and so like, how, how does the average consumer um, out there benefit from Cisco Systems? Because I feel like you know we all know Google is the place we go for our, our for the main part our internet searches our web searches, our email for many of us, things like that. Uh, we all know Amazon where we buy products and all sorts, you know, started as with books and then we buy product, all sorts of products we can have delivered to our door within sometimes hours. We know Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, social media connecting us with other people. But Cisco sort of, I think my perspective, it's a little bit more in the background. It's a little bit more of how those all those things tie together. So you can tell us, like, how how are we each benefiting from what Cisco does? Uh, well, I think if you if you if you look at me, you know, you and I and and our listeners, right? At the end of the day, uh, I'm talking to you for for an IP phone uh, that has been uh, developed uh, by Cisco for a, and and a lot of IP telephony was as well. Right um, at every and and somehow the data is being seamlessly transmitted between us, and then eventually we'll get to our listeners through, um, you know, to thousands and thousands of people in different countries, and somehow just like an email, it just magically and seamlessly happens uh, quite instantly. But yet we we all you and I know that it takes a lot of work in 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 making this podcast or writing a book or creating a network connection. So Cisco is the company that really makes that connectivity possible, and it ensures that that connectivity is seamless and secure. So um, it's it's interesting when um, like obviously for my, I kind of grew up. Uh, internet came out when I was about um, eighteen years, but it, it reached a mass adoption when I was about twenty or twenty one or so. So. Unlike unlike my son, I didn't grow up with the internet, and those things are not obvious to me. But I have a five year old son, Matthew, and he just for him everything is just connected. I mean, he walks in into a hotel room, says Alexa, and then mm-hmm. he he gets oops, sorry, that's Alexa speaking, <laughs> uh, and then he gets uh, disappointed if he doesn't have a response. But now it's uh, look, we uh, Wi-Fi is a basic is a basic necessity in a Maslow pyramid of. Uh, you know, Iraq, the pyramid of needs. And then Cisco is really the company that pioneered a lot of those technologies and, uh, and, and makes this connection possible. Yeah. So we're, we're also grateful and thankful. And I think more, uh, being able to understand and the ability to understand that there are lots of 
things that go into providing us the technology that we all just sort of take for granted these days, especially younger people who are sort of born with it in a sense. But, you know, uh, speaking of that, Alex, I really wanted to get a little bit to your personal story because it sounds like it's it's very formative to who you are and also your experience with all of this. Uh, one thing that really strikes me about your personal story is that you were born in the Soviet Union. You know, my my father and my grandparents were born in Cuba, but the Soviet Union, you know, uh, is a whole other uh, larger, um, you know, entity uh, and 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 nation and um, an empire in some places. And and yet you now have spent most of your time working in Silicon Valley for uh, some of the list of companies I mentioned earlier, and now over a decade at Cisco. And we when we talk about innovation, one thing that seems to spark in our heads is the idea of change. And as you mentioned in your book, the place you were born, the USSR, no longer exists. Of course, the geography and the people exist, but the government itself is completely different, and there's a radically changed economy. Can you tell us a little bit about the contrast of being born in a place like that? I think you were there through your teens and now living and working not only in the United States, but perhaps at the most innovative place on the planet, Silicon Valley. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting journey, right? And if I think about uh, kind of the, the two things, if I think about Silicon Valley, right, uh, I think, um, I don't know what the official statistics are, but I think most of the people in Silicon Valley were born somewhere else, right? Be that in another country or in another city or another state, right? So if I think about what makes it, what makes it a special place is, is the fact and that hotbed of innovation is, is really the inclusion and diversity. It's the fact that there are a lot of people that come there and that are willing to challenge the norms. And um, and I think when I came to the United States, uh, um, frankly speaking, I wasn't the one challenging norms. The, the norms were challenging me, uh, just because it was a it was a radically different experience, and it was radically different experience for socially, and for one simple reason: despite having an A plus in kind of in the Soviet school for English, when I came back when I came to the United States, I quickly realized that I actually cannot speak the language. I can understand some of it, but I definitely cannot speak it. So, um, which kind of um, uh, prompted me to, I still wanted to have some social activity and, and, uh, uh, and, and stay connected. And somehow, uh, just at that time, the internet was, uh, the World Wide Web was starting. There was a Usenet. There were a lot of uh, ways to communicate with other people through and kind of hide behind the computer screen uh, with uh, limited English language um, and check the dictionary before typing. And I think that is what played a pivotal role in me embracing the technology and staying with it. I I would have never thought that uh, I would have been in technology. I thought I would go into public service like my dad. So it's a, it's an interesting turn of events. And then maybe the second one, it's a, when we think about disruption, right? Disruption can come at any time. And um, look, uh, the fall of the Soviet Union is a, is, a, is a great example. We can argue about whenever or not that was predictable or forecastable. Uh, but at the end of the day, it just happened practically overnight. Uh, and, that's an, and that's an interesting observation uh, that stayed with me for the rest of my life. Now, have you been back to uh, Mother Russia in recent years? Oh yeah, I've been over the last uh, 25 years or 30 years. I've been in the, in the U.S. I, I've been coming back and forth, and uh, uh, I kind of st I stay connected culturally, certainly to uh, uh, to the music and the books. And um, you know, my son and I are listening to Russian rock and roll, which is which is a pretty neat uh, music genre. Yeah, well, Russia has an amazing culture, and and as you mentioned, the the music, the literature. I mean, it's just such a very deep and uh, great culture. Uh, obviously, you know, there were many many uh, uh, problems uh, with uh, with the Soviet Union and and the large authoritarian government, of course. But um, but what changes have you seen there since? Uh, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union. I mean, like you mentioned, it seemed to happen overnight, but uh, since that time, you know, they obviously had to adapt. The people had to adapt. There was lots of changes, uh, especially to the economy. 
um, hopefully for the better. But even even with better changes, there's always disruption. But what have you what have you seen compared to when you left there as a teenager? And it really goes back to the inclusion and diversity, right? Because when the Iron Curtain is is gone, right, we are connected to the rest of the world, right? We, uh, you know, we uh, around the world, we may not see eye to eye on different issues, or we have different customs and traditions, right, or different economies for that matter. But I think when people are connected to each other, magic happens. And I think the reason... Uh, that Russia is a very different country is because people travel, people are connected, and again, we have the power of the internet when, where we're all connected and we can learn from each other. And, and, and living in a different country still follow literature or music or other things. Yeah, that's great. Well, um, Alex, you talked about coming here in your teens, and, be, and I was reading this in your book about how you became part of a local hacking community, and you just mentioned about uh, how you started getting into technology and things like that. Um, and I know that led you to a company called Liquid Audio, and also I think the, I don't know if you helped found that, and then later to Napster. Can you tell us more about this experience when you first came here, uh, joining this hacking community, and and the path that led you to what you're doing today at Cisco? Yeah, I, and what I, you look when we think about hacking, right? Um, to be honest, I'm 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 not sure what hacking is, right? Hacking, we all we talk about life hacks, or we talk about different things, uh, so. Uh, we're not talking about the computer crime here, but it's really about how do you connect things uh, things together and how do you figure them out. And you know, again, I um, I I didn't necessarily have the manual for a lot of things, or nor could I afford one, right? So I kind of had to go and figure things out. And uh, uh, conveniently, HTML just came out, and uh, I was figuring it out with uh, you know thousands of other people across the United States because we truly believed that that is, uh, is, a new, um, is a new vehicle for communication and commerce and just for, for, ways, for, for ways for us to consume data and or actually forget about consuming data, about interacting with each other. And which naturally led me to California where a lot of my friends uh, moved uh, uh, to work for tech industry. And if we think about the early adopters of the internet, right, it's really the entertainment industry. When we think about digitization and uh, and kind of growth and, and digital business models, uh, what a lot of the traditional companies um, are going through, um, that's something that the music industry, you know, went through 20 years ago. And um, I was lucky enough to be uh, to be a part of this. And uh, with Liquid Audio, I remember I was working on um, uh, really figuring out how do we track the digital downloads, how do we uh, how do we pay the rights owners. And I remember one day I was I was convincing the Billboard magazine that they should actually publish a chart for um, most downloaded music, which at the time, by the way, was not an easy sell to the traditional media magazine that was tracking CD sales. And then from Liquid Audio, I went on to a dark side, which is Napster, uh, but 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 with a, with a very honorable mission, which is working with them to track the digital downloads, understand who the right owners are, and figuring out a business model to go and pay the uh, the content owners and properly license content. Yeah, you know, I can tell you as somebody who grew up in the 80s and 90s and with the internet coming of age really in the 90s when I was kind of uh, at the end of my middle school, high school and college, you know, getting access to music throughout my life has been radically different. I remember when I was a kid and my parents, we literally, you know, we grew up, I grew up in Fort Lauderdale and we drove to Peach's Music Store when the... Uh, we are the world album came out and it was a big charitable contribution as well to, uh, but it was, you know, all these great artists coming together. And I just, something in my mindset, I don't know how old I was, six, seven, eight years old. I remember my parents literally getting in the car, driving up to a record store to buy a record. And that was, I was probably at the very tail end of that. And then of course there was the shift to cassettes and CDs and then obviously digital music, but also getting all this digital music, uh, in what some may, people might call free to the consumer, because a lot of kids like myself who are using Napster or Kazaa and the record companies obviously were like, how are we, like people produce this? This is their property rights. How are we going to 
um, you know, be able to monetize this? Where are the gatekeepers, you know, to be able to say who's should be listened to and who should be the important music? Uh, so a lot changed, a lot of radically changed. And now today it's just the norm, you know, Apple Music, uh, Spotify, Pro- Amazon, you know, all, all them. You can get instant downloads of any individual songs. So Napster was a part of creating that. Um, and like you said, it was the dark side, but it was like you were seeing something that was coming and you were tapping into it. You were t- maybe trying to get the current industry to see that change. They were resistant because they were going to lose control of something and also, you know, something that was that was changing. They weren't maybe open to. Uh, so this is uh, sort of what you get into the book a little bit with with things with with resistance to change and and things like that. But um Tell me a little. Uh, by the way, as an aside, I, I I loved in your book too that you and I are both fans of Metallica, <laughs> and Metallica was one of these artists who basically took on the fight against Napster, and in in the legal fight and everything, and it was a big thing, and a lot of fans didn't like it, and um, to this day people still talk about it. But uh, tell me a little bit about that experience of being a, like a fan of a, a of a group like Metallica, but also being part of a organization and company that was being so disruptive if you will to the industry uh that that people or bands like metallica might have saw as a threat yeah you know i worked with uh with artists for for many years in my life and kind of i've i've learned to separate the uh kind of the the personal the concert the concert going experience from uh from uh from uh, being backstage and then seeing how the business is being done. And sometimes these are very radically different things, right? Um, so, look, it's, it was cool to work for an Napster. We were, we were truly pioneers of something, and, and people adopted us. And, um, and um, at the end of the day, it was a wonderful uh, place to work because it was a startup, and a startup, you know, a startup is a team sport. Right, so we we were all on the same page, and we were working tirelessly with a clear sense of mission, a clear sense of purpose, um, which was phenomenal. And um, of course, I I I, I miss that, uh, right? Uh, I miss that feeling of uh, look, but probably being young again, or uh, or driving something that has mass adoptions by by millions of people, and and all of my friends. Uh, but even if I, through the innovation lenses, right, we talked about the industry transformation, um, but n- never, I don't want to say never have we ever, but we didn't really consider streaming. If you look at most of the data consumption today, uh, sorry, music consumption today, it's streaming, right? We were built for digital downloads. Our, our rights management were, di- were built for digital downloads. How many times do you burn the songs and other things? Same with uh, Liquid Audio, right? So even at that time, of course, we thought that the internet uh, would, of course, will get better and faster. But we didn't really predict that we would have a device in our in our uh, pockets uh, that would allow us to just do a quality streaming uh, of music. Uh, just uh, and the whole idea that you consume consume music as a service versus own, owning it—that's uh, that's something that just happened to us, and uh, we we probably enabled it, uh, but but we could not foresee that either. Yeah, well, that's an incredible experience and really neat that you were a part of it. Well, Alex, I want to get back a little bit to some of your ideas and thoughts on innovation. Um, as you know, the title of this podcast is Agents of Innovation, and I want to tell you why I started it and why I named it. Um, mm-hmm. What I did as we walked through your thoughts on innovation in my line of work of what I do in my day job, I've done fundraising for nonprofits that work in the public policy space. And I primarily do development and fundraising work. I meet lots of business leaders and entrepreneurs all the time, people that donate to the organizations I've been a part of. But I've also served on the board of nonprofits, um, one of which was a charity music festival where I was able to meet a lot of independent musicians who are extremely talented, but they're more in the startup phase in their careers as musicians, or at least they're not uh, big pop stars. Uh, they have their own cult followings, and they, you know, they really grind it out like many, like many entre- other entrepreneurs do as well. So through my work and through my uh, activities, there was a commonality of people I was frequently encountering and still do, and those were entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and artists. And I always have enjoyed hearing their stories. 
And after I would come away maybe from lunch with somebody and I would hear their entrepreneurial story, I would think, boy, I wish more people could hear their story. So at the same time, I was starting to listen to podcasts, uh, which was something kind of new. You know, this was about five or six years ago when I started having this idea. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I could start a podcast and bring on some of these people to interview. And in the process of coming up with what I would name the podcast, I was just sitting down one day and I just started writing down a lot of words and what these people have in common. And I thought, these people are all innovators. And eventually I thought, they're agents of innovation. And so as I, uh, as I mentioned as, uh, in your story of coming to America, um, I thought this was really something unique about America too. You know, if you look at our history, uh, if you want to talk about the settlers at Jamestown or Plymouth Rock or those who wrote the Declaration of Independence, uh, the explorers and settlers of the West, such as Lewis and Clark, to the inventors in our society, such as Thomas Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, Henry Ford, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, the list goes on. Um, it's really like the innis, the innovative spirit of America that this podcast wants to champion. And I feel like I constantly come across people who, in their own ways, capture the spirit of innovation through their art, business, or charity. Uh, so now, almost five years after I started this podcast, we're 71 episodes in now. And we have a chief innovation officer here uh, at one of the top 100 companies on the planet with us today. And that's very exciting. But as I started reading your book, it gave me some pause because you mentioned that innovation is a horrible word because the term has become so buzzy. It seems to have lost all practical meaning. So as I, I sat and reflected on that and I thought, did I choose the name of this podcast appropriately? Was it just a buzzword that I was choosing? Um, because you're right, in a, the, word, the in a word innovation seems to be everywhere these days. And you mentioned because of the overuse of this word, many in our society and our culture are confused by its meaning and the very concept of innovation. So I wanted to ask you if you could please tell us a little bit more about what innovation means to you and why you wrote your book, Fearless Innovation. Uh, um, you know, it's, uh, well, first of all, it's a uh, probably right. If you ask um, your guests, you probably get a very different response on what innovation is. And um, but the innovation happens when agents of innovation come together, right? So it's. Uh, I think one thing that I really want to highlight is that it's uh, innovation is typically it's a, it's a team sport. Right, uh, it's it's uh, it doesn't happen in the in a, in the basement. So a lonely innovator is is a myth, right? Um, there could be a lonely inventor, right? But then at the end of the day, innovation happens in teams. Um, and um, and you've talked about the early settlers and the people that that make different choices. And I and we all know that it takes it takes courage and it takes embracing the unknown and. And it takes not getting no for an answer. So to me, innovation is an ability to to stay open, right? To stay open and act on it and create something uh, new and not being settled in the dogmas, right? So when I think about uh, fearless innovation, I honestly think that my innovation here is my son. Uh, my, and he's five and a half years old, Matthew, and he... He does not take no for an answer because he doesn't know that uh, no exists. He challenges me, and he the way I look at how he builds Legos, right? He 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 builds the man. He looks at the manual. He creates something, and he says, "Well, you know, I think I could do something different and then better, right?" And he he doesn't understand why cars can't fly, and perhaps cars will fly one day because of people like Matthew who. Uh, who really are open to all, all sorts of possibilities. And I think this is who the agents of innovation are. I think we're all born innovators. And then somehow as we become adults and uh, somehow perhaps we lose that. So when you talk about artists and musicians and philanthropists and, and, and a lot of them are really in touch with their childlike curiosity. Um, so of course they're agents of innovation. Well, great. Um, we also mentioned in the book, you say innovation isn't a thing. It's a mindset and attitude made up of clear principles and that those principles can be put into practice. Uh, please tell us a little bit more about uh, innovation as a mindset and attitude and how we can apply it. Right. And uh, if I think about the innovation as a mindset, right, uh, 
um, of, you know, as we, as we <coughs> probably many, many will agree that uh, life, life is a journey and then not a destination. And then the more we are uh, focused on the journey, the, the more happier we are. Right. And if I think about the innovation, right, innovation is definitely the mindset. It's the mindset of being uh, um, being um, urgently curious. It's a mindset of not denying change and it's a mindset of embracing the unknown. Um, and if I think about different principles, right, I think about it mostly from from an organizational perspective. Uh, but the one thing um, that I want to highlight, just speaking one of them, is uh, um, innovation in the organizations. Uh, when we when we look at the commercial entity, it certainly requires a, a sense of purpose, and um, I'm sure there has been some debates on your podcast about whenever can you measure innovation, and um, one of the principles that I have is innovation must be measured. In fact, when we think about uh, in a commercial entity, we must begin with a clear purpose, right? Because at the end of the day, it's what is the metric that we we want to move through innovation, right? Would that be a customer satisfaction? Would that be revenue? Would that be whatever that is, right? Uh, we apply that mindset of being curious and about being open and willing to change things to achieve a particular business goal. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting because you give a lot of examples in your book about whether it's from startups to companies that have existed for a long time to companies that have faded away. We all, you know, we can think of probably so many, but two of the examples you give in your book, one of a company that has faded away and that's blockbuster video. They did not adapt. They did not uh, innovate to the changing times. And then another one is a company that's been around a long time. And you kind of think about, you actually mentioned it because your child is playing with them. Legos. And they had their ups and downs through the years, but they've truly been innovative. They've been able to stay relevant, despite the fact that kids these days are so enamored with all sorts of technology. Lego seems kind of antiquated, but they've been able to adapt and stay relevant. And they are a booming company. And just an hour from where I live is Legoland. Uh, and let me tell you, that place is booming. So tell me a little bit about some of these examples and and the fact that uh, – you know, the ability for companies to be able to see change and adapt with innovation? Um, uh, well, I, first of all, just in the, in the spirit of, um, of self-disclosure, right, Legoland is about 15 minutes away from me, and, um, and I do have an agent of innovation in my house that, <laughs> keeps, uh, that keeps playing Legos. In fact, uh, uh, I, I got hooked on it, right? So on Legos, uh, so I'm, I'm I'm a bit biased here, right? Um, but um, you know, I really want to come back to one of the, my favorite quotes uh, from Andy Grove, and he talked about uh, you know founder of uh, Intel, but he talked about the fact that business success contains the seed of its own destruction, right? And he said success breeds complacency, complacency breeds failure, and. Um, some of it is part of success, um, right? I think when we as an organization are very successful, we kind of, we get comfortable and we stop paying attention. So again, going back to that mindset. And if you think about Blockbuster, uh, you know, I think Blockbuster was the company that famously, their CEO famously said that uh, um, Netflix was not on the radar in terms of the competition. Of course it wasn't because I don't think they were paying attention or why worry? Yes, of course there's some disruption, but look at our real estate footprint. Look at the number of people that are, that are doing something, uh, renting, renting, uh, the videos and just like me paying a lot of money in late fees. Um, so there wasn't really, I think there was a level of satisfaction that they really did not, um, think about it. Um, now, if I think about Lego, I think Lego, they, consist, they consistently diversified their business and they consistently experimenting. So I would bet that the difference is actually in the corporate mindset, right? It's the mindset of uh, where's change coming and how we can adapt to it. And if we look at the way their business was diversified from anything from, from, from video to, to amusement parks and publications, They've done a tremendously good job of uh, of staying connected. In in fact, uh, 
I can't wait until my son is a bit older so that I can can uh, I can buy a, a next version of Lego that actually has the the internet connection and we and and you can control it remotely and uh, and do all the other things. So they stay, they invest heavily um, in diversification of their business, and, and I really believe it goes back to the mindset and staying connected. Um, in fact, maybe you can see, you can clearly see I'm very passionate about Lego. Especially when I step on it in the middle of the night. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> all jokes aside, um, I recently discovered that Lego has an, uh, uh, basically a brainstorming kit that uh, organizations can use to facilitate brainstorming or discussions and other things. And I just ordered it, and I can't wait to get it. Right? Um, well, that's interesting. It, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Example. Oh, give me an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Go ahead, I'm. Please. I was just going to say, too, you know, I was also uh, uh, in your book, I enjoyed your mention of Scott Adams uh, of Dilbert, who uh, pointed out that large corporations welcome innovation and individualism in the same way the dinosaurs welcomed large meteors. Um, And to this effect, can you maybe compare and contrast the innovation that takes place in, say, a startup and how as organizations become larger with many more employees and maybe get set in their ways, how challenging it is to continue to have a mindset of innovation that is applied uh, when the organization may have, say, more layers of bureaucracy to navigate through? I, I, to be honest, I think it's as challenging as for me to, to listen to new music. Like every week I force myself to listen to America's Top 50 or whatever that is on Spotify. And it really makes an effort for me to go through this because it's it's hard for me to stay open and just receive that music. And I know that people that are half my age are really enjoying it. So it's really how do we stay open? Uh, what What is the tipping point in a company? Is that an attribute of age or size or experiences? Frankly speaking, I don't know. The one thing that is very clear to me that um, – the startup is a uh, is a team sport. The corporate large organizations, right, be that corporations or nonprofits or or countries, right, they cities, they become it's a political process. And um, and again, there's nothing wrong with startups or large corporations, right? They all have their their uh, pros and cons. Uh, but the one thing that um, that I realized is. In order for uh, or larger organizations to remain in a innovative, it it needs to be more of a team sport, and um, it's actually I want to say so it's quite easy, right? It goes back to breaking the silos and connecting people uh, connecting people together, because when you when you think about a uh, uh, startup, right, the, the, one of the biggest assets are people and their knowledge, and if you look at the large companies, there's way more people, and their knowledge is tremendous, right? Uh, and it's all about connecting uh, connecting employees with each other and connecting them cross-functionally. So I go back to that uh, uh, concept of inclusion and diversity and concept of just getting a different opinion. Of course, if you have a diverse team uh, with people from different backgrounds and knowledge, you will end up with a better product. Or you will, and you, and as an employee, you will end up with a far better experience, uh, uh, because people were social animals, and then we like to be exposed to diverse, uh, diverse views. So it's connecting employees to strategy and connecting them with each other is, I think, is one of the key uh, ways to to keep innovation going in any in any organization, big or small. It's just in the in the startup that often happens naturally. You're all you're all in the same. Uh, uh, small space, and you'll your part-time receptionist, your part-time chief everything officer, right? And uh, corporations just a bit more structured. Yeah, and and it's funny. I'm looking, you know, thinking about your your company, Cisco, which's been around since 1984, and I was reading that you all have spent over 22 years now on the Fortune 500 list, uh, currently ranked at number 48. The last uh, data I have. So uh, it, that's really remarkable, too, that you've been able to keep up, especially with the changing times, including in the, uh, you know, the information industry. Um, well, uh, Alex, what, what are some of the common responses? You know, you mentioned in your book that change happens naturally, but innovation doesn't. 
Um, first, what do you mean by that? And also, what are some of the common uh, responses or reactions to change that you've seen? Well, I think, um, um, you know, change happens naturally because, uh, to be honest, it just happens no matter whenever we like it or not, right? It just, uh, it just uh, the only thing constant, as you know, is change. And, um, but when we think about innovation, it's really working without change, right? And in order to work without change, well, you've got to embrace it. And it's interesting because um, uh, there's no sense in denying change, but just some companies, we talked about Blockbuster, right? They either never paid attention or they, uh, or they never embraced it. But a lot of companies are just uh, either ignoring or, or people, right? Uh, because for companies are a collection of people. Um, we just either pretend not to notice change or we deny it or we shame it or we regulate it. Uh, but somehow we're not getting on board in it. And uh, what I've learned is most of the time is fighting change doesn't, uh, doesn't make any sense. We, we do have evolution and then the world keeps moving on, whether that's the physical world or, uh, or the business world. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you also uh, one of the other challenges in the, you know, that you mentioned in your book as well is when it comes to the business environment today almost always gets in front of tomorrow. Um, how can we balance the demands and how can leaders in organizations balance the demands of what's needed to be done this morning uh, with the innovations or the adaptations that are needed to respond to the change that is constantly happening in the world and in our economy? Um, yeah, and it really depends on the, what business you are in, right? Uh, but of course, things happen constantly. So, and uh, we tend to be in a reactive mode. I mean, as an individual, I think about uh, right behind me, there is a wall with a bunch of post-its, right? And there are all those strategic things that I need to get to uh, because I know that they're important for my life. And uh, But yet there's... Uh, um, you know, things just happen. And then the corporations are the same way. So it's really about structuring for innovation. It's about creating space uh, in lives, just like we create space in our lives for, for unknown. Um, it, takes, it takes a bit of a planning, right? And that planning is really ensuring that um, there are forces in the company or teams that are paying attention to, um, to what's going on in the world, in the industry, that people are freely exchanging information and that a corporation or our organizations, just like our families, are safe places, safe places to be and the safe places to express our opinions and, and be heard and, and feel that our voice is, is, uh, um, is valuable. And if, as long as that uh, culture exists, I think um, um, today will not get in front of tomorrow or not to that degree because there is always space for something else. Well, Alex, um, being at, since you're at Cisco, um, perhaps the world's leader in information technology, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the rapid change we've been experiencing in our world, and especially here in the United States over the past decade or so, and what's to come? I mean, uh, I guess what I mean by this is uh, we all live with these smartphones now. The web's getting faster, but also more trafficked every day. There's constant disruption happening in all sorts of industry, particularly with automation and AI and perhaps at a faster pace than ever before. What, what can we as consumers expect in the coming years? And what should those who are true innovators or industry leaders uh, be prepared for? Well, I, I think, to be honest, I'm, I'm probably going to say the uh, same things that um, most of your guests are saying on the podcast, but we just, we just need to be prepared for, uh, for, uh, for new disruptions, right? And... We live in a wonderful time when more and more people are getting connected to the internet, right? And uh, I think we just recently, we just released the new, uh, the annual report. And uh, we talked about the fact that, you know, we looked at some numbers of people connected and we, we clearly see an exponential growth there. And the more people are connected, the kind of the more data and information we're going to have, the more businesses are going to get digitized and, uh, um, um, so I, th I think that's the ongoing uh, kind of ongoing transition to digital or blending the digital um, and um, <clears throat> blending the digital and physical. If I think about just my, my personal hopes and, and aspirations as uh, just as a human being, um, as the world is getting connected and there's more and more technology, 
Um, I just hope that will be used for more and more causes of improving the human experience, right? Of uh, um, protecting the environment or fighting the environmental deterioration of, um, you know, fighting poverty and just creating economic opportunity. Because when we're connected, there should be more of that. And uh, and I know Cisco is very active in that field. Uh, just and I'm proud to work for the company that's that's uh, not active, not even not only actively thinking about it, but actually doing something, encouraging all of our employees uh, um, to do these things. But I really. I really hope that with the world becoming more connected, we can go in and solve a lot of uh, a lot of problems like like poverty or access to healthcare, uh, clean water, and other things. Right? We're in the year 2020, and um, if we think about one of the major disruptions that just happened or happening, right? It's the coronavirus, which is didn't come from technology, right? But I'm hoping that with the technology, we as a humanity can solve those problems better and faster. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting that you mentioned all this because uh, I'm planning to do a, an upcoming interview with a, a professor at Florida State University, Sam Staley. He's a listener to this podcast, actually, and he also teaches a class on social entrepreneurship. And with what you just mentioned there, and you also mentioned this in your book about the responsibility we all have to help those who, you know, despite this rapid uh, growth in technology and all these things that many of us have access to, uh, there are still many people in the world that don't have access to clean water, basic health care, or other technology that the rest of us may be experiencing. Um, you also mentioned that we're witnessing the emergence of companies that are as passionate about social impact as they are about profits. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, maybe some examples uh, you're seeing? I, you mentioned Cisco's doing this a little bit about some possibilities or, or some possibilities you're seeing on the horizon for those considering making a social impact through entrepreneurship. I just think that generally, I mean, broadly, I'm seeing that happen with large business and the small businesses. When we talk about, you know, B corporations that are uh, that are talking about shared values with the community and just uh, and and being responsible citizens, I think that I'm 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 seeing the emergence of that, and I think we we all are, and it just makes it makes my it makes me hopeful, uh, and it's really. And it's really the mindset of people that uh, um, the younger generation that's driving us to do that. So there's a lot of hope. I mean, going back to my son, uh, he learned about recycling at uh, at school, and he literally over the uh, over some time he literally inspected the trash and recycling bins to make sure that I put things in um, uh, in the right place and. Thanks to him, I'm I'm gonna convince my wife to do a zero waste household. So it's really the I think we as a humanity want to do the morally uh, right things uh, for others. And when we think about corporations, again, corporations are a collection of people, and I truly believe that we we as humans want to do the right thing, and we want to make lives of others better and create economic opportunity for others. And and again, going back to the technology, I just see the technology as a great enabler of that. Yeah, that's no, fantastic. Well, Alex, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed reading your book, Fearless Information. Um, you put uh, so much guidance in your book uh, for so many of us, and I'm learning something new on every page, and I really recommend it for anyone interested in innovation or wanting their company or organization to have the highest impact possible. Um, just to tell your readers, you ha- I know you have chapters uh, dealing with the absolute necessity for companies to innovate, uh, chapters that walk us through why it's important to have a strategy to innovate and how to execute it and how to measure innovation. Uh, you also have chapters on the concept of disruption, how to think pragmatically. Uh, you mentioned the myth of the lonely uh, innovator. And I also noticed that you also have a chapter that encourages companies to hire a chief innovation officer. Now, Alex, I think that's an innovative way to create some job security for yourself. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> with all kidding aside, um, who would you say your intended audience is for this book and what you hope they can get out of it? Well, I think it's really the uh, the middle managers in, 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 in the companies, right? And if I think about why, because going back to the um, – 
going back to the agents of innovation, the, the, I believe that real unsung heroes of innovation are the middle managers of, of the companies. And um, frankly, because there's so many things that they need to hold together and they need to balance the, the workforce needs and the executive needs and the, you know, the Wall Street needs, there's so many people that are trying to get their attention. And at the end of the day, uh, they're the ones that need to uh, to keep the company moving and execute on a on a on a day to day basis because they they're they're driving the workforce. So um, I think the middle managers are the ones that have the most influence when it comes to innovation. And I really hope that uh, uh, that my uh, book would inspire them or provide them with practical tools to to take action. Um, and going back to the chief innovation officer, I firmly believe that every every company needs to have focus on innovation, right? Some companies might want to hire a chief innovation officer. Another one might create a, a, a governance body for it. Or, but the one thing that I would encourage all of all of my uh, readers and all of your listeners is not to hide innovation in some special corner of the company with, you know, edgy posters and kombucha on top, right? It, it belongs to everyone, and there is a potential and a need for every function in a company to be innovative. So, and as long as, and every middle manager can be their, their own chief innovation officer, and as long as they're aligned with each other cross-functionally and their leadership, that company will have better chances of being a, uh, better place to work and being more successful and, uh, and, and creating a bigger impact for its customers. That's great. Um, Alex, on, on episode 69 of the Agents of Innovation podcast, just two episodes ago, we had a, a woman named Shannon Slevin, who's the founder of Wellfest and Shoga. She helps individuals and companies create a culture of well-being in the workplace. And I noticed at the beginning of chapter three in your book, you actually have a little aside where you talk about meditation and mindfulness. Um, from your viewpoint of someone who lives in a fast-paced Fortune 50 company and works with many other companies across various industries, what can you say about the practice of uh, meditation and mindfulness and the importance of being fully present? You know, I've oh, that's that's such a topic because I I think about it quite often, right? How do you um, how do you stay fully present, uh, right? Uh, the, the one thing that I, it goes back to the priorities, right? It's about how do you ensure that today doesn't get in front of tomorrow, yet at the same time, if you're fully present, right? Um, it's, it's all about today, so it's a bit of a, a catch-22. Um, you know, per personally, I just I think uh, about this a lot. Uh, I have employees around the world, so if I want to be working 24-7, I can, and sometimes I do. But the one thing that I would encourage everybody is to disconnect from time to time. And again, I think Cisco is very good about it and, and ensuring that we kind of have the right uh, mindset uh, about that. Because at the end of the day, in order for us to be innovative, in order for us to be curious, and in order for us to... Uh, to have to create something new, we have to have space in our head and our lives and in our uh, in our brains, and that requires slowing down and and uh, and breathing. And uh, that's as applicable to I think to individuals as it is to any organizations. Well, that's great, and um, yeah, I encourage listeners to go back listen to episode sixty nine, where they where where Shannon kind of walks people through a lot of this in very 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 good detail. But it was great to kind of see that uh, as a mention in your book because it's it's something I'm seeing a little bit more of, especially probably as we have this culture uh, where we're all moving very fast, we're moving faster, our fingers are moving faster, our phones, everything. And um, I thought that was just that was just interesting that you also mentioned it. Uh, well, Alex, I want to thank you for being on here. I want to give you if you have one last word um, for our listeners on how someone can be the best agent of innovation in their life or in their work. Uh, what could you say to someone listening in our audience on how to best achieve this? It's really about uh, being true to ourselves and focusing and understanding what our purpose is. And what, again, as people, as individuals, as parents, as, uh, uh, as community members, and, and staying true to it, right? And, and again, allowing and creating space for, uh, 
for new things and uh, and the embracing embracing change. And uh, personally, for me, I will uh, I'll jump on the on the plane in about uh, two hours. But before I do that, I will download that episode number sixty nine uh, because. Um, uh, being present and uh, and just um, is one of those things that I work uh, as, a, as a parent of two, and uh, I'm looking forward to learning more from this podcast. Great. Well, thank you so much, and I'm sure Shannon will be thrilled to hear that you're going to listen to her uh, as well. She's actually a, a Californian as well, up in Northern California, San Francisco, working with a lot of uh, uh, top companies as well, so maybe you guys can connect. But we uh, we really want to thank you for being on uh, the Agents of Innovation podcast. And I know you have a Legoland out there in California. Uh, we've got one here in Florida. So whenever you're ready to bring your son to Legoland, Florida, uh, we'll be happy to, to connect with you here in Central Florida as well. So I just want to thank you, uh, Alex, for, for, for being an agent of innovation and for being on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And next time you're in Carlsbad here, well, Legoland is just around the corner. So looking forward to <laughs> chatting more. Sounds good, Alex. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Put at ease your souls tonight Know the sun will hold set and rise Little fears that you got inside your head will soon be gone, but remember what they said. Oh, we don't want this to end. We don't want this to end. We don't want this to end. That's why you gotta start. To begin Oh, to begin.